welcome to Cosmic Brilliance. I'm really excited to have today's show titled More Advanced Technology Revealed in the Ancient Hall of Records and the Activating Space Arcs. For 35 years, I studied hidden archaeology and ancient technology, which are solutions that could solve all our problems today. And as you will learn in our show, they are being used in the secret space programs for over a hundred years. Therefore, today we will be revealing huge amounts of details on this advanced technology that can solve the draconian and outdated approaches to issues concerning environmental and physical health and much more. Today, my experienced guest, Ileana Star Traveler will be revealing exact groundbreaking details and advanced tech that is currently being found, currently being found underneath the pyramids and close by ancient halls of records that are scattered all over the world. Now, this information was originally revealed at least the first time I heard it, was revealed by the renowned psychic and healer Edgar Casey. He did many life readings and healings that he performed on other people, and he had mentioned during those that the Hall of Records were buried in three major locations across the earth, and they would reveal the ancient knowledge and secrets that would enlighten humanity when the time was right. Well, guess what, folks? The time is right now. You will be surprised to find out how and why Ileana is qualified to share more historical unveiling of these truths for you. Ileana, like all of us, has had many lives. When Ileana contacted me for show, I sensed that there was a deeper reason. And as I read these past two weeks, over a thousand pages of her most current two volume books, Okay, check these babies out. Look how thick they are, <laughs> each over uh, 500 pages easily. I plowed through those and it was fascinating. And now I discovered why. It was the latest, most specific knowledge and answers to my 46 questions, or 47 questions really, that I had written for these next two shows with Ileana. So please be proactive and share these two classes we are providing for you, part one and two, for the public and unveiling two million year old knowledge. Crystal artifacts and advanced technologies and more. It's very exciting. So please, if you don't mind, like and subscribe if you felt like you received benefit from this. Ileana, my guest, is a star traveler who is certified as a Native American shaman, psychic, crystal healer, energy healer, past life regressionist, soul retrieval and hypnosis practitioner, and an Akashic Records reader. She's also a successful self-published author on Amazon with a book called Crystal Grids, The Art of Healing with Crystals, that teaches various healing crystal modalities and how to create your own crystal grids so you can achieve and manifest your desires and create 
best life. She has also authored three new books titled Messages from a Star Traveler, Research Archive, Volume 1, and the two I showed you, Ileana's Star Journeys with UFOs, ETs, Secret Space Programs, and Past Lives, Volume 1 and 2. Now, through self-hypnosis protocols, Ileana was able to access memories of her secret space program experiences, being an SSP asset, working on the Mars basis, and get this folks, cybernetic labs, creating biological drug serums, biological human cyborgs, improving Neuralink implants, and operating the regenerative technologies that are the ones we really love and are waiting for called the holographical medical pods is the correct name. We call them medical beds and Meditech units. Now, Ileana has also done what is called one complete 60 years and back in these secret space programs. Now that term and science was defined and explained in my previous cosmic show, which makes her current actual age 90 years old. <laughs> so you're looking great, Ileana. <laughs> you go, girl. So in Ileana's two volume books that I just showed you, she describes her past life regressions where she had remembered that she is an Andromedan Palladian L, as in EL, extraterrestrial hybrid, who is a star traveler. The L is a, the L, excuse me, are a builder creator race who inhabit the unknown space universe. They come from the 12th density of dimension and they embody both the male and female forms. They are able to shift their biology and forms in order to appear as different beings and they can become corporal or non-corporeal. The L race were and still are shapeshifters, changing their looks to whatever form they want. Wouldn't that be nice? They all have psychic psionic abilities and can manifest the realities with thought consciousness. They often exist as pure energy, I believe. Now, the L race gets more exciting. The L race was one of the first races to colonize Earth 250,000 to 300,000 years ago and left remnants, yahoo, of their vast technology here, which we are finding now. Back then, the humans were, believe it or not, seven feet tall. And in those early days, the L's were referred to as giants standing at 12 to 40 feet tall. So folks, if you can picture this, that is a height of a four-story building because the average two-story building is 20 feet plus a roof. So imagine what it would be look like meeting and telepathizing and communicating or conversing with someone the size of a four-story building. Awe-inspiring for sure. So thanks for showing up in the smaller body form. <laughs> So once the elves colonized a planet, they would build great libraries deep underground, which is usually referred to as the Hall of Records because they're libraries. Many of these libraries are scattered on Earth underground and are also on on-world and off-world planets and moons. Now, the cool thing is these have tiny crystal records which contain the history 
of the known universe. And yes, you heard me right, folks. The history of the known universe gathered and archived by the elves and founders and cedars during their vast travels. Inside these hall of records, which you will discover today, the L race made stasis chambers for their giant bodies to lie safely for thousands of years. For those giant guardians who chose to remain behind, because not all of them did, but those chose to remain behind on earth, are asleep inside those stasis chambers. And they knew they would be triggered to wake up when the wave X energies came to earth. And you'll find out what those are. The elves can also travel in bio-living sentient light ships if they want to. The L race are known for being negotiators who help to bring peace as ambassadors to different planetary systems to help prevent wars in various galaxies. Now, my subscribers know that previous Cosmic Brilliance guests like Elena Dinan, Jean-Charles Moyen, and now Ileana, the Star Traveler, are all activators that are able, I want you to get this, they are able to activate all these crystal artifacts and stasis chambers and other things in that we will be elucidating in these hall of records. They also access the founder cedar space arcs because they have the same DNA and frequencies that match these ancient builder cedar races. If you are new to hearing about these revelatory historical activations, understand that these are activating now on earth across our and across our solar system i personally am so excited because i've waited thousands of years for this moment and we are so fortunate to be alive on earth for these exciting times so with that long yet amazing introduction to iliana I felt she and her ancient L ancestry would be the perfect cosmic brilliant person to provide answers to my many, many cosmic mystery questions. So for today and in our forthcoming part two, Ileana will share many details that are not public knowledge. Now, please note that due to the, the specific details that I have asked Ileana, which is a real deep dive, okay? And totals 47 total questions that she will address and answer for us. It requires our due diligence for accuracy. So respecting Ileana's, whose persona is precise and scientific in nature, she will be reading the detailed answers she wrote in the two volume series because this ensures that every accurate detail which is easy to forget some of that will be shared with you all without missing out anything so we truly appreciate your patience in this matter uh i know it's not always easy to listen to someone who is reading but just take it as if you and your family are attending classes and i promise you that it will be worth it. I guarantee that the historical factual class will not disappoint you and has never been taught in school. So 
I do recommend stop the show, grab your family and friends, get some tea, put your feet up and attend to the gift of this free class. Thanks for your patience and welcome back, Ileana. I appreciate you being here and consider you a cosmic, brilliant, traveling universal encyclopedia. Thank you, Marilee. It's good to be here with you today. Good. Why don't we start by uh, getting your our terms defined as we go along. So in the introduction, you mentioned the term wave X energies that have been coming to earth recently. So please define for our audience what that means. Sure. So wave X is an energetic cosmic wave that is supposed to help beings to evolve to their highest potentials on a soul level and also a physiological level of being as well. So these are the wave X higher frequency golden energies that are coming from the great central sun and the 12, 12 density portals. And we discussed that you felt the golden vibration. Yeah. And I concurred with that. Um, golden frequencies seem to be part of these waves quite a bit. Yes. And um, did this start in 2012? Do you know? Yes. It started 2012 and onwards and even got more expanded in 2013. Yes. Okay. And so just in case for some of our newbies, they have never heard the central sun concept. Can you just say a little bit about how the central sun send, sends frequencies, our suns pick that up and it gets transferred through? So it happens in gradual waveforms. It's not all at once because the central sun is like source creation, where creation begins, where creation happens, where things develop. So in order for us to receive these waveforms, because they're so powerful, it can affect and impact and change our genetics or DNA, literally. The two strands upgraded to three, four, five, and six in the densities from 3D and higher. So this is what these waveforms from the central sun are doing, helping us in our evolution and ascension process, basically. Oh my gosh. That is so great to know because it's almost like a default by creation to assist us in whatever you want to call it, the ascension and reawakening the DNA. And most people have at least... 12 strands of extraterrestrial DNA and up to 22 or more. So thank you so much for explaining that, Ileana. Yeah, it even goes to 24 strands. Yes, which the activators usually have. Yes, they yes. do. Which means you and, Il and Elena and Jean, uh, Charles Moyon and more. There are, there are mm -hmm. others. So... Since you go by Star Traveler, I also would like you to explain what that means and if you have met any other Star Travelers on planet Earth or Terra folks, as it is called galactically. So the Star Travelers are beings that are traveling throughout the various dimensions, planets, galaxies, universes, whether in corporeal bodies, semi-corporeal or energy bodies, there's studying other races, energetics, 
and being record keepers of how life is created and preserved in all realities of existence. And I have met some other star travelers. I know that there are six others on Earth, or Terra, as you call it, and I have met two of these star travelers so far. Mm. Were those two that you met, were, were they aware of each other on Earth? Did you recognize each other? Because our memories have been so shut down here. Um, so two of the star travelers that I know of are friends of mine who I have met. Um, but the other ones, I don't know who they are. I just know the two out of the six. So two are close to me and the other ones are not aware of their galactic heritage, just the two that I know of. So it's, and they're contributing to the positive evolution of the human race and to connecting the balance to the earth. So that's what the star travelers are doing and getting to know their galactic heritage, it's like exploring your past life memories and seeing who you were, are, and will be. Seeing your future, your past, your present. And it's all interconnected in cycles of galactic heritage and histories. Well, I bet them coming together with you triggered for them and helped them with their memories. And, and of course, you do amazing readings for people and can scan people. So I, I would imagine you help them out with that. Yeah, we, we had talks about their past lives and who they were and are today and how their past lives connect to who they are now and what they're doing in their soul awakening to help themselves and others on this planet and evolving. Um, one of the star travelers is actually a healer and a psychic themselves. Mm -hmm. And the other one is like a record keeper because they're into research as well. It, this is so cool. I'm, if, if I found that if I lie, allow myself flow, which is not my strong suit, but if I allow myself flow, I run into star seeds and people all over the place. I was just in the container store yesterday and I got a, a thing to go, you know, just a quick message to go there. And I was just going to go pick up a hanger. I'm like, ah, is it worth it? I go in there. The first guy I see, we look at each other and I go, hi, how are you doing? He goes, I'm great. How are you doing? And he ends up being a star seed. And we talked for like an hour and a half. He has full memory and full abilities because he's a younger generation than I am. So we're running into each other, slow but sure, right? Yeah, and you and I are very similar. We're very much into research. We're very much into the particulars of the information that we are perceiving and trying to recognize and understand. So you and I have been working together the last couple of days, just flowing, vibrating yeah. in how the information is coming through. So it's, it's a very interesting process, I think. It is. It's lots of fun. <laughs> It is indeed. Yeah. Um, your questions are great, very informative. And it shows that you've read these two books and that you're knowledgeable about the material. And you've you followed Elena and you followed John Charles Moyan. And they have similar information about the ARC ships, about DNA heritage, past life awakening, what's 
how it's helping us in evolution today. So it's all interconnected. And they're in my books as well, because what they're sharing is amazing. It, it coincides with the information. So it's amazing. Absolutely. And with Michael Sala's work and yes, yeah, it, it totally coincides, but yours is literally an encyclopedia. So I'm just like, because <laughs> I love putting puzzle pieces together. So thank you. Anyway, the audience will get the benefit of this. So thank you. So I realize you are humble because I've gotten to know you, but I would like you, if you are willing to please specify your abilities so our audience can actually understand how you are able to access the galactic vast knowledge, including the various holor records and the currently activating space arcs. So if you would just list off your abilities that, that you know you have. Sure. So my abilities are connected through the DNA and soul access related frequencies of living consciousness. When I connect to people, I actually see their soul sparks, their soul energy and how that works. And that's how I do my energy readings, my healing, psychic stuff. I really look at the soul and I listen to what people's higher selves are telling me. That's so important because that's the true essence of who we are. It's our soul and our higher selves. So these abilities include psychic scanning, astral travel, remote viewing, bilocation, teleportation, long distance healing, soul retrieval, speaking multiple light languages, accessing the Akashic records, people and planets, again, connecting to their soul energies, to their soul frequency, to their higher selves. That's how the psychic scanning works. Activating the space arcs and the hall of records. And I do that through remote, remote viewing as well. I connect to the frequencies of what's there. Um, also, I've done psychokinesis, which is moving objects with your mind and working with holographic devices. Oh, like that's not enough. <laughs> it's so awesome. This is, this is what I believe so many of us can do once we're free and, and activated. Um, you use the term remote viewing. I know the other self-explanatory. Can you briefly describe for any time, first-time listeners what remote viewing is? Sure. So remote viewing is when you are going to look at something or someone could be from the past, the present, or the future even, you're going to, with your mind to have a look at what's happening somewhere, what's happening to someone, and you're getting sensory information back, coming back to you from your mind. It's like your mind is seeing something, and you're receiving a message or a signal. It could be in images. It could be in colors, it could be in visuals, it could be in sentences sometimes. Everybody perceives it differently and to the degree of remote viewing that they're doing. If you're starting out, you might just get visuals, colors, senses, frequency, um, and you don't interpret what that is. You just put down the data, the information that you're getting from whatever you're pinging as a source. Because you're, you're, you're connecting to someone or something that you're looking at. Remote viewing literally means you're looking at somebody. You're listening to something. You're connecting to something or someone to see what it is or who they are. 
and bring back information about them. And you write it down on a piece of paper and you draw out little visuals of what you saw or heard or sensed or felt. So you are using your five senses and beyond in remote viewing. What you're not using is your logical mind to interpret what those things are. What you see is what you get and that's what you put down in your remote viewing data. You don't make assumptions. You don't guess what it is. Whatever you see, sense, feel, you put it down. And that's how remote viewing works. And then later on, if you have somebody that tasked you with that remote viewing pro project, they will tell you how your results match up with what, with what they tasked you to do, what the target was. Most people don't know what the target is. In traditional remote viewing, you don't know the target. You're blind. Um, the way my psychic abilities work, most of the time I do know what the target is because I psychically connect to things on a deep level. Yeah. So for me, I would say my remote viewing is I usually do know what I'm looking at and what I'm exploring. It just to me, that that is a deeper connection. So and what think, is, what is your percentage of hit rates? That's, uh, you know, that's a term where they were correct at getting a item person location place often that they don't even know what they're looking for but they just access it yeah i would say 90 percent so far um if you would like oh. i could tell you an example of something recent sure. that happened sure so i had been remote remote viewing norad on october 3rd 2021 mm. and the most and they track everything from humans. NORAD is connected to satellites, radar, off-world systems as well. They track everything, literally airplanes, cities, people. They can look at us, zoom in on the satellite and see us, what we're doing. This, this, this is wild to me. But the most interesting thing that um, I found is that they're tracking UFOs. They have dedicated computers and servers to track different types of UFOs and crafts. And um, Stephen Greer was just talking about that, how his military advisor had been at NORAD and he saw a dedicated computer console, computer console 50, that was dedicated to that. Uh, so this just confirmed things because my remote viewing was a year ago and Dr. Stephen Greer's show was on May 21st, 2022, where this was revealed. So the data just collaborates everything and verifies that information. I don't think of NORAD. I don't really am interested in what's inside there. It's a military facility within a mountain that's connected to Canada, U.S., and the Cheyenne Mountain, which is a secondary base, from what I understand from the remote viewing. So for me, that's a military installation. That's not something I'm curious about that often. But the UFO stuff that they track it, that was interesting, and that's corroboration. Yes, it is. And believe it or not, back in 1975, I was dating a wonderful man. I love him to this day. And his father was a high up person in NORAD. So I got a private uh, tour, which was awesome. And I can tell you, just the door alone is like this thick, you know. So uh, it was lots of fun. Thank you. Thank you for that. 
Okay, so when I was reading your book, you and others have spoken of light languages. And so, again, for our audience, I want you to describe, you know, what that is and go for it. Just anything you can tell us about that. Sure. Um, I speak different light languages and I communicate with a guide of mine whose name is Zagor. He is a reptilian insectoid hybrid and his language, his language is very guttural. It's like, I can give you a sample. That means don't be a sellout. That's the literal <laughs> translation of it. So that's a little sample. Um, and to me, light language is, has very specific meaning, like a deep soul meaning. So I'm just going to share what that is. So the light language is often what can look like someone doing things with their hands, where there are movements, incorporating flowing and flashing with signs, uttering phrases, and it might sound like it's an angelic language, uh, which can sound like a quality of gold if gold were a sound. This can be like a dance of sound and vibrant gestures with rivers of energy going back and forth inside us. So it's an energy flow. It's a vibration. It's a feeling in your heart. It's a sensing of soul connection. And light language can be expressed in different forms. Like some people speak it, some sing it, some sign it, draw or write as light maps or codes or inscriptions. So it could be any of those things, really. It is called light language because that is how it appears to the inner third eye, which is here, as the practitioner is speaking words that are on fire or really lit with gold. So you're, you're accessing a frequency. You're accessing senses, flow, energy. And that can feel like gold because your soul is singing. Some say that they are channeling light language from other beings and other realms or star systems. Some say that it comes from their higher self and it could because we are all connected to our higher selves. That's the greatest gift I find. And some believe that it is both those alien beings or fractals of their own self and that can be past life connections to galactics as well, our galactic family. So each person has their own style of expression, which is as distinct as their voice, as distinct as the beings or aspects that they are bringing through them or themselves. And again, light language can be very, it can mean one thing to you and it can mean one th something else to me. It's very unique and special to the person that is connecting to it. So various beings have their own form of what might be considered to look like sign language. And it's a light language in the form of how like dolphins send each other holographic blasts of information through their clicks and whistles and whirs, how trees and the mycelium of forests speak to one another in chemical impulses. So it's not just words, it's frequency, it's chemistry, it's sound. These things don't point to definitions. They transmit states of being full of emotion and charged with presence. 
It has been said that light language is truly celestial. It is both galactic and angelic, ancient and futuristic. As much as many of us are familiar with ideas of enchantment and spells, light language takes us right to the edge of the unfamiliar. We can all tap into our own forms of light language. It is a new kind of magic. Literally, this is weaving of light. In an age of misunderstanding, how beneficial it would be for us to feel new ways of communicating as trees, dolphins, ETs, and angels already know and can never be misunderstood. It is so clear how it comes in when they speak light language. It is just a pure vibration of the heart and so loving of the soul. It's a deep divine connection. So through light language, any beings that we encounter are literally aspects of us, whether past, future, or parallel lives, ancient or in a different dimension. When we gain access to them, we reclaim something that may have been lost or forgotten within our own selves. And in that uniqueness, the communication might not sound like language at all. The language of light doesn't have to be words. It could be frequency, it could be feeling, it could be purity. We all have a distinct dialect. First, there's just the energy and the beauty. Your human sits aside and you let yourself communicate. You commune with your inner self and your higher self. When people bring the light language through, they may have a vision in their head, but they might not completely understand the word by word, but rather they're getting it in feeling. They feel it deeply in the heart, in the third eye, and in the soul vibration of what's coming through. Light language is about healing. In the stress of our three-dimensional world, the practice of light language heals by bringing together the spiritual and the physical, its divine union. Expressing ourselves helps us to make the connection of the spiritual, the spiritual and the physical. It is sincerity and humbleness shining from ourselves that bridges the imaginary into the physical realm because sound is physical and your imagine, imagination is life's creation, literally. You create, you vibrate, you imagine and you make it manifest into your reality. And light language can help you with that to bring everything we can from our ancestry into the physical world that's literally manifestation, connecting to our ancestors. We can then apply that wisdom to everything that we do, bringing it into physical energy helps us to grow and make our world better than it is. And it's often chanting light language. It's expressing your creation and your beautiful imagination of the soul divine. That's that's how I see light language being special to me. So with light language, we can connect to the ATs, the fairies, the spirits, the dragons, nature, and etc. Shamans and druids do this all the time, and we can as well. Anybody can speak light language. If you have a memory of it within your heart, then yes. If you even have the question, can I do it? Then the answer is yes, of course you can. Why would your soul even be guided to ask? then why not explore it? Go out into nature, let what is in your chest and heart come out. Maybe it will be a chant or syllables or a strange sequence that comes out so vibrantly. There's nothing scary about it. 
It's the embracing of more of who you are. And it is what is encoded in the sleeping DNA that we all have and that you have. So light language is also a beautiful set of transmissions which create the light language that could be using the voice in conjunction with hand signals like a dance where the hands are describing shapes, glyphs, and formations in the air. It is a simultaneous layer of meaning to the utterances of the voice. The hands can write light language in the air so it can be written in the air as parts of symbols, letters, sentences, phrases, images, numbers, signs, etc. It's so expressive. You can literally be creating new languages, new galactic forms of communication. The light language transmissions can come from the angelic realms, from galactic dimensions, from the ancient continent of Lemuria, even from the elemental realms of elves and fairies. Light language is connected to intuitive channel and psychic psionic abilities, where a person can set the intention or the tone for the energy or information that they wish to bring through, or the person can let the energies themselves decide what comes in and how it expresses themselves. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's light language. And again, the way people describe it is so unique and different. Um, I can't describe it any other way. I can't imagine this is what it is to me. It's so magical and it's so inspirational and communicative in its many, many forms. So multidimensional. Oh, indeed. Um, and it also connects to the uniqueness of my experiences with Zagor. So when I speak the light language with him, it sounds like something called clean on, which people might have seen in Star Trek. <laughs> so it's when I literally verbally, verbally verbios, because it's guttural or psychically communicating with Zagor. This language does sound like guttural clean on and Zagor refuses to learn English. So I have to speak clean on, of course. Oh. So of course. Yeah, he, yeah, <laughs> he challenges me. And insectoid, of course, we have to adjust. <laughs> and I do. I, I'm happy to speak with him in whatever form he is happy to speak with me. And it sounds very fast spoken language. Um, and to me, it's, and it's very expressive. It's like a forward speaking intonations and the specific meanings. And it's expressed in every word or sentence that is being spoken. So one sentence can be five different phrases actually in this language. So there's emphasis put on speaking clearly with precise understanding and what is being said in this clean on sounding guttural language so that there are no chances for misunderstandings or misinterpretations in the vernacular of the language itself. So it's very precise, it's very concise. There's no misunderstanding with him. What he means is what he says. And this, this being is so interesting. He loves to play with cats. He likes fluffy animals. He, he adores beautiful fuzzy creatures because he hasn't had love or warmth in his life. He's a bioengineered being. Um, his race was enslaved. So for him, it's about, 
It's about connecting and communing with love, compassion, and humbleness, and loving little creatures. Just imagine this 14 to 16 feet tall, green-looking reptilian insectoid with black eyes, just connecting with beautiful furry animals and wondering, these creatures are beautiful. This is love. Oh, that's a beautiful story. A beautiful story. Yeah, tenderness, softness means a lot to multiple species. Listening mm -hmm. to your answer on the light language was enchanting. And it makes, I had to sit fairly still because it makes, made my heart want to just get up, dance, move, and try it spontaneously. So, so uh, I'm on good behavior. So <laughs> thank you for the beauty and the dynamic precision of your answer. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure our guests will too. So it's incredible. Mm -hmm. Now to get a little more personal, I'm curious, what was your specific soul mission? And was it about coming to earth to help wake up or rescue other soul family members, like many of us volunteered to do? Can, would you be willing to describe that? Sure. Um, my sole mission was to rescue a female Pleiadian soulmate aspect of mine, whose name is Akira. She was trapped by the Matre Gray race in the Peruvian portal of Amaramuru under the portal in a crude stasis pod where Akira had been asleep in a stasis chamber for two million years. So at that time, there were the Maldap tunnels made by the Maldakians who had come from the ancient planet Maldak, which was destroyed. So it's, this planet is not currently in our solar system anymore. Yes, we've heard about, is that the one, we destroyed so many in, in previous wars, is that the one that is now our asteroid belt or is that Tiamat? In it's both, it's Tiamat and Maldak. Is what folks that you are seeing when you see all the pieces in the asteroid belt it's you yes. know these these are planets and been at war and part of our galactic history so go ahead and please explain to our audience um who are learning about galactic history a little bit more about the maldekians and what occurred sure so the maldekians destroyed their own super earth planet almost one million years ago and it was called maldak when Mars had been close to them, they destroyed it with supercharged crystal plasma lasers, which can act as directed energy beam weapons if programmed to do so. Not all the time, um, whatever you program it to do, it could be for positive purposes or what happened with them, unfortunately, was a negative polarity, but it doesn't have to be that way. Well, man, so when Maldek was destroyed, the remaining survivors came to Earth and they integrated themselves with the 10 ET civilizations comprising Atlantis, as well as Earth humanoids whose genetics were getting upgraded by the Atlantean geneticists. Fascinating. Do you, could you name or do you know the 10 extraterrestrial civilizations that were comprising Atlantis at the at that time? So I have awareness of six of the names for the 10 ET civilizations that were comprising the founding of Atlantis. So the six 
So these six civilizations that I know of that were the contributing ET founders for creating Atlantis were the Meldakians, the Andromedans, Pleiadians, Syrians, Lyrans, Arcturians, and several, and several of the other races, which were among the 10, but I don't know those. It's so lovely um, because as long as I've known you, I don't find you ever exaggerate. You know, I'm, I have that Irish ancestry, so I like just slightly add, and I know you've got a lot in you, but you're very precise and you're willing to say what you don't know or whatever. So I really appreciate that quality. Thank you for your precision. Well, it, and it comes from being a researcher because I used to work in university libraries. So precision, accuracy of facts and fact checking, that was part of what I was trained to do as work. So for me, it's like, this is the information you share what you know. And if you don't know, you honestly say you don't know that that's okay. Thank you. Because it's easier to trust someone when you know that to what they're saying, because what we're sharing here is pretty outrageous for a lot of people, but we're all going to get up to speed then the faster, the better. So please continue with what caused the destruction of Atlantis. There's many ideas about this, but I know you were able, you know what destroyed it. And I would like you to share the clarity of that. Sure. So during the time of 2 million years ago, when Atlantis was falling, the reason for it happening was because it was being bombarded by various races that primarily included the Draco reptilians. Uh, doing this bombarding from space with energy beam weapons that destroyed most of the Atlantean cities, outposts, space bridges, portal systems in the Andromedan space station Adelan that was orbiting near the Earth at the time. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so when Atlantis collapsed, and I think it had four... I don't, I don't pronounce this. Is it epoch or epoch? Epics? Epochs? It had four periods. Epochs. Epochs. Yes. And so we're talking about the last epoch when Atlantis finally collapsed. Is that referred to as the actual fall of man? So what, what, what I'm referring to two million years ago is when Atlantis was founded, right? So the reptilians, the Draco, destroyed that two million year technology. And after that, things really changed. So when Atlantis was collapsing, I consider it to have been going down the vibrational density as it destabilized from being in the sixth dimensional Earth that brought us from being in the 60 to 3D which was a huge shift and it created a loss of memory for the survivors of Atlantis. That's basically where they went to using ships and sails and stuff like that instead of hover cars and spacecrafts. That's um, huge. They yeah, they lost a lot. It's huge. Mm -hmm. Yes. So the Atlantean energetic shift vibration caused these civilizations to have a lesser understanding of how to rebuild their outpost cities and other knowledge. They no longer had flight capabilities or the same crystalline towers as they did before with the space bridges where they could go up to their space station, the Atalan. So the other versions of Atlantis that were rebuilt had much less crystalline resources and crystalline systems available to the Atlanteans. 
they still had some crystalline technologies like the healing wands with sound frequency with energy and the different colors of the crystals doing the healing on the wands and also the ability to use gold and copper to build their cities and water-faring vessels. But these surviving civilizations no longer had access to much of the Stargate portal systems in order to leave the Earth, so they made do with adapting to using the resources on Earth that were available to them in order to basically rebuild their homes or their outposts. It's almost like starting all over again. So that was the time. Do I have this right? That was the time. Let me back up. Many, many humans on the planet right now, Earth, reincarnated, have had lifetimes on Atlantis. A lot. Mm -hmm. Lemuria. So back then, so to speak, uh, we were at six density is what you're saying. I mean, I thought we started off at fifth density to find out we were at sixth density. Oh, my God. No wonder there's so much depression and everything else with souls trying to adjust subconsciously, subconsciously to the huge, you know, shift downward in primitive ways of doing things is is. Would you say that's fair to say? Yeah, yeah. I I think we, when the beginning of Atlantis fell two million years ago, we lost a lot of advanced stuff. We lost access to space stations, to space portals, to space bridges. We lost the ability to travel through portal systems as well. Some of the founding ETs escaped through the portals and they managed to rescue the crystalline towers and put them in inner earth or take them back home. Some of these huge towers are now in inner earth so that the reptilians or the Anunnaki cannot get access to this technology and use it in the wrong way. Um, Basically, it's to protect the technology and to protect us. So one day we have access to it again, to the crystalline systems that help us to extend our life force energies that keep us healthy, that allow us to be super happy and vibrant telepathic communication. That's all crystalline technologies. Which you're about ready to introduce. Now, I uh, years ago, I saw pictures of crystal towers on the moon as well. Yes, there are crystal towers on the moon when I've, I've been on the moon with lunar space operations, and I've seen crystal towers. I've seen them on Venus as well. Oh, cool. Oh, my God, we got to get to that. But I want to stay focused on the excitement of this technology that is going to free people up and help. So Mm -hmm. reading your two volume set, (laughs) I learned Okay, folks, are you ready for this? One of Ileana's most important past lives was as an Egyptian priest who was named Calypso. And this was not a lifetime that we would say average, as Dolores Cannon would say, digging potatoes. This was a lifetime where she ends up being the architect knowledge keeper, scientist, and builder of none other than the Giza pyramids. 
with the three interconnected tunnels of Giza and also highly knowledgeable about the Maldekian, Carpathian, Romanian mountains a little bit at, about Tibet, previously spoken by Peter Moon on my previous shows in the his wonderful uh, series called Transylvania, the Transylvania series. So folks, uh, take a bathroom break because you're about ready <laughs> to get the tour of all the details of the pyramids and the Giza Plateau. And that will just be the start. So how I'd like you to proceed, Ileana, is through the eyes of yourself as Calypso, when you slash he was building the Giza pyramid. And if you can describe what that job was, what it entails, and as many details as you can share, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah, so this lifetime was in Egypt. It was a past lifetime from 80,000 to 100,000 years ago, just so folks understand how far it was, how far back it was in the historical record. I don't think Egypt was just built 10, 12,000 years ago in the pyramids. It goes back hundreds of, hundreds of thousand years ago. So from my memories of Calypso, he used the ancient universal knowledge of magic and alchemy to help build the various Egyptian pyramids by levitating and teleporting the large masonry stones by connecting with thought consciousness to the wand device that he wielded in his left hand. So this wand was a tractor beam device that was used to levitate the large stones and stack them in precise geometrical patterns to build the three Giza pyramids. The wand tractor beam device emitted a blue frequency field that would levitate the stone blocks to stack them in specific and precise height parameters. This wand also had different color buttons that could make the levitation frequency fields stronger or weaker, depending on the size and the weight of the stones that needed to be levitated to fit the pyramid structure exactly. So that it allowed to do the, you know, this this pyramid shape, the precise, um, the Pythagorean so theorists cool. as well. Mm -hmm. So cool. I love that because um, that matched my intuition of knowing that they used levitation. And I know I studied Tibet for a while. I'm not an expert at Tibet at all, but I believe in one of the most sacred uh, hidden valleys. Some are invited. They get together. This is the memory I have of a, a half circle with huge yak horns, different sound instruments er, and everything at the base of a huge rock that has a cave up high. And they were able through sound and probably other things, uh, literally lift, just like what you're describing, guide uh, you, you know, all this, you know, remove, uh, remove the uh, opening of the cave, guide and up and store these sacred items, artifacts. Grand Canyon had that too, by the way, is having that too, but way up there and then cover it up. So uh, again, this has been used in many, many ancient cultures, but it's wonderful to hear the details and the exact tech. So how do you remember Calypso cut those stones. Was it with lasers? 
some kind of laser thing? Yeah, so as Calypso in that past lifetime, I remember that there were portable laser mini platforms, which were used with sound frequency oscillation. So they oscillated the vibration in order to cut the masonry stones in the precise shape that he wanted them to be. He could cut it small, he could cut it big, he could levitate them to stack one on top of each other with such precision, because he didn't have to do it by hands. It was with the portable wand tractor beam and the lasers cut it and they're portable and the lasers move because they are powered by anti-gravitic energy fields. So that's how he could get it in the precise shape he wanted, where he wanted, how he wanted. He was very, very precise. Mathematical precision equation in his head. He knew how everything needed to look like before it was even stacked. So that's, that's how interesting his mind worked, worked from what I can remember. So these stones were then stacked with a levitation tractor beam wand to build the Giza pyramids. And that comes from my direct memories of that past life. So these laser mini platforms could float and move about since they had anti-gravity propulsion devices attached to them on the bottom. So that is why they were portable and could be moved around as needed to different sites, like to build the pyramids in Egypt. Now these, okay, you have to show me with your, show us with your hands. So basically um, there were many platforms and yes. these were anti-gravity. So they were floating around. Yes, they were. And how big were these platforms? Whatever could hold the stone that they were working on? They're not huge. They're the size of a table. Okay. And yeah, and there's multiple sets of them. There's like five to seven of them at the same time doing this function. Each one is cutting the stones with precise frequency and color. I could see blue. I could see green, purple energies, yellow coming from these laser systems on these platforms, and literally cutting the stones into precise segments to stack so it's almost like did these platforms within them have templates uh blueprints in a certain way based on it um based on the color and the frequency and and or was it also calypso's intention and visualization along with yeah, they had the templates, but it was his intention and visualization so he could psychically telegraph to these platforms what he wanted changed if he needed to change something to the template as they were cutting the stones. And how many people were involved in this? He was the leader or the main builder, but were there he, hundreds? Yeah, he, uh, there were thousands of people involved in building it. And he was one of the project leaders. Like if we were to ask him, who were you? He'd say he was a project leader. He was a priest and an architect. So just imagine him standing over the building site and just checking to make sure that everything is precisely created the way it needs to, to have that, to have that perfect Pythagoras angle. Because it has to be a certain degree, right, yes. for the vibration of the pyramids to work correctly energetically. Um, so he was making sure that that was done precisely to those parameters 
that was his job and to monitor the workers to monitor the lasers to just be in sync with the project and and he was levitating i saw him in that past life levitating the stones to stack correctly that was his favorite thing to do <laughs> from his job it's a new version folks on playing with blocks <laughs> yes or legos yes and i think these new kids coming in that have that are all activated and have their dna they're just going to be do, 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 doing telekinesis with a lot of interesting things you know oh, yes. all I these so i firmly believe nothing's impossible and all these abilities that we're sharing today can be done by us technology is here to assist us not replace us just want to make that fact would you agree with that yeah yeah i i I think that technology is here to help us in basically helping with daily tasks like reminders of things and stuff, uh, finding us stuff on the internet, but we should be evolving as organic humans, organically, naturally. I don't believe in having implants in the brain or modifying ourselves genetically. We are the perfect blueprint of the soul divine, the energy. The body can regenerate, self-heal. We have it within us and we're doing this energetically. So we don't need technology within the body. It should stay as is outside the body and, you know, assist us with just daily things, reminders, scheduling, timing, that stuff. Holographically. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, they could fetch the food and put it in the car for us, that type of stuff, maybe, for the robots. But I, I don't think they should be fully sentient AIs oh. running around. I don't, I don't like that idea. No way. Too many galaxies mm -hmm. destroyed by that. Exactly. We don't wrong need that here. Yeah, we don't need those wrong programming parameters. I agree with you 100%. We're, we're good as is. We are divine human beings. Yes. Yes. Beautifully said. Now, folks, um, you will be seeing uh, an amazing photograph uh, of the pyramids as we're talking about. I'll pro we'll provide photographs. And you probably don't know this, but Ileana, I'm not a tech person. She does the most amazing, beautiful, almost holographic images of different things we'll be talking about. So I'll make sure and include those in the video, which you're probably seeing now. But uh, one of the things you'll be seeing is the entrances to the Hall of Records at Giza under the left paw. Also something Elena talked about, which is on the left side of the rear tail, there's a little entrance excavated in the 1970s by the famous uh, Egyptian archeologist Zahi Hawass. There's also, the video, it's the first one I ever found, first revealed public photos within the Sphinx itself called, from brightinsight.com. So check that out. And I include also in this YouTube, you're looking at leech secret photos under the Great Sphinx inside hidden tunnels, as well as uh, Zahi Hawass on top of the back of the Sphinx, and there's a trap door there that goes way down. So those are different things you may be looking at right now. So just wanted to let you know, there'll be lots of fun graphics. So uh, why don't you 
why don't we get into the tunnel system? Because that's fascinating too. So continue on talking about the Maldekian tunnel systems, which means the ancient Maldeks built those and they connect to many sacred sites all over the world, including the Egyptian Sphinx and the halls records by the Sphinx. So go ahead. The Maldakians had created their Maldak tunnel systems underground throughout South America, Africa, Egypt, Indonesia, as well as some parts of Europe spanning between Turkey and Antarctica, connecting all the Maldak bases together with their Atlantean outposts in the largest worldwide subterranean highway system. Huge highway system. Imagine walking deep underground and just walking about and being free to walk. So that's how big that is. You could easily travel underground without being undetected. So you weren't being detected and not be seen by the early human surface dwellers who were still evolving with their genetic DNA upgrades called the Earth Human Genome Project. So we would call those guys the Neanderthals. Um, and one of the Atlantean projects um, goals was to help upgrade their DNA, but without them being seen, without the Atlantean founders being seen. So it was done energetically from a distance. So the purpose of the tunnels leading to Tibet, uh, Egypt, Inner Earth was so the Maldakians and the Atlanteans could have easy underground transport to all the bases and outposts without being detected by the Neanderthals. Because they, they did have a sort of like a prime directive not to interfere with an evolving civilization. So that's how it was during Atlantis as well, the first two million years. So this worldwide interconnected ancient and modern tunnel system also provides a way to discover more chambers, like under the Egyptian Sphinx, where the Egyptian Hall of Records had been built around 9,564 BC, during the fourth epoch of Atlantis, when the island Poseidon had drowned under the waves because it was a cataclysmic event, and its survivors had branched out to Egypt and Peru, as well as other places where the water levels from the oceans had not risen so high from that cataclysmic event. Think uh, Noah's flood, something like that. Similar to that is what happened in Poseidon, Poseidon the island drowned. And the people were called Poseidians or Poseidius on that island. Cool. I'm having so much fun <laughs> learning all these details. And you probably introduced to those that are watching for the first time several different impactful facts that they were not introduced to, may have not been introduced to, is the fact of the non-intervention, where there were always advanced civilizations here on Earth. And it and planetary planets and planetary evolution and the species on it, as far as I'm concerned, as a galactic historian, has always been not creationism or evolution, but at least three different factors, which include genetic manipulation, upgrades, in some cases, downgrades, 
But so there's that whole factor you covered. And that's why these underground tunnels didn't have a blow mind effect to the Neanderthals and because they were seeing, you know, Neanderthals, Cro-Magnon, what's going to be the best ultimate avatar body for advanced souls to come and experience Earth, right? And be able to be fruitful, multiply, and successful. Would you say? Yeah, and it, yeah, and it wasn't modifying chimps and apes. These Neanderthals were already evolving human beings. And this is what we are now, where the Homo sapiens were the result of their genetic DNA being upgraded. The Cro-Magnum, the, the, the Neanderthals to the Homo sapiens that we are now, we weren't, it's not Darwinian theory where we just evolved from apes and monkeys to us. That's not how it happened. There, there was ET intervention and genetic, positive genetic upgrades that helped to evolved the intelligence of human beings at a faster rate. And that was done through energy frequency, changing the genetic strands. They weren't being injected with anything or manipulated physically. It was energetic frequency that did this upgrade. Which, fascinating, which I envision is exactly, well, not exactly, but very close to what is happening now. Mm -hmm. the extra frequencies yeah. coming in the wave x the everyone being on board uh us moving up in frequencies so that we can thank you very much get back to at least where we started you know right so it's, yes. it's like here we go again you know to do this now did they travel on maglev trains which we've also had for a long, long time underground. And folks, that maglev means magnetic levitron trains and anti-gravity cars in those tunnels back then. Uh, and they do that now for quick travel for elites, presidents, extraterrestrials, etc., that have treaty agreements not to show their face topside. I looked up in China's fastest maglev train goes 600 miles per hour, but ET underground trains on Earth go much faster than that. I know mock speed is 767.3 miles per hour, and I heard that they go at least three mock speed or higher. Have you ridden on them, or do you know anything about them? So I've never ridden on um, these faster, faster than the speed of light trains or the maglevs. Um, I did remote view them, and... I know that for a fact, we have faster than the speed of light train systems going through the portal hub corridors. It could take you to other planets. It could take you to location A to B on our planet in an hour or two. So during the time of Atlantis, there were hovercrafts and what you would describe as hover cars that would travel through the tunnel systems, but not maglev trains. The faster than the speed of light FSL trains that are currently being used to go through the portal corridor hub systems are modern technology that is not from Atlantis. This is something that these Black Ops programs have created on Earth. So by using the faster than the speed of light trains going through the portal corridor hubs, again, it takes about one to two hours max to travel to other countries or even to other planets that's being done with this technology. 
And again, no, I have not been on these trains that are on earth. Um, and so this information had come to me from a remote viewing that I had done in the volume one book describing these FSL train systems and the portal corridor hubs through which they travel. Yeah. Some people have said there's more people living underground than topside. And there's definitely, there's definitely uh, multiple species for sure. And the whole ancient and char and inner earth beings on multiple densities. And um, when I studied with some Hopi elders a long time ago, I remember uh, one of them with the last name of Fastwolf said, we know, we Hopis know how to get from one end of the United States to the other underground. So it's, you know, there's fact after fact after fact that verifies what you're, what you're talking about. Now today, uh, we use nuclear-powered tunnel boring machines, and you'll see the picture right now on the video that tunnel very fast and make the rocks on the sides smooth and can can go at a pretty good uh, clip. So do you know how they built the tunnels back then, Ileana? Yeah, the Maldakians can build their tunnel systems with laser sound frequency, again, oscillation, oscillating of frequency devices. And they did not need to use nuclear powered boring machines like we do now. So overheating the rock of underground matter is not healthy for the sustainability of planets or human beings. The laser sound frequency oscillation devices that the Maldakians had used did not overheat any of the rock systems in the underground areas where the Maldakians had created the tunnels. These devices did not emit heat or cold outputs. Instead, they used sound to operate the frequencies, determining how much was needed to create the tunnel systems. And they had smooth walls with precise edges or rounded curves, depending on what was desired in the structure of the underground tunnel systems. And the walls were smooth in Amaramuru and other places that I've seen. Now, when you say laser sound frequency oscillation devices, is that similar to what we see in the cymatics videos where um, sound is put, you know, into a drum and the, the mugwort or sand immediately moves into different figures and configurations? Is it similar yes. to that? Yeah, sound is amplified and the frequency is tenfold what it should be because it's an amplification process. So it literally vibrates the walls, literally changes the shape of something. So that's how that's done. It's a vibration. It's like, just imagine seeing a waveform, right? You, if you're seeing this process in action, you're seeing a waveform, it's like a mirage, and the shape of the wall changes. Wow. Instead of being just square, it is now almost circular, depending on what they needed to form the tunnel system. And when you said it's 10 times more uh, powerful, um, mm -hmm. that explains to me, because I've had, I've gotten to swim with uh, dolphins intimately, that explains to me why those evolved beings have chose that medium and why their sonar track is so effective mm -hmm. in water. Yeah. Because it's more yes. effective in water than air, correct? 
Yeah, yeah, because it's oscillating like this, the frequency is going like this. So you almost see a waveform with this technology. The only way what you're seeing, how it's changing is the waveforms of the sound oscillation. All right, so another question for you, Liana, is why, then this has been bannered around, tons of books written about it, but why were the pyramids built and what are their several functions? So according to Calypso's memories, from what I understand, the Egyptian pyramids were built to be power generators that were cloaked so that the star nations could use the pyramids to either send out positive or negative messages to Earth's field in order to change the Earth's orbit. The power generators that were on the pyramids could also open star gateway portals or pathways to other dimensions, realms, or to travel off-world to other planets. So again, it was a two-purpose kind of a deal. It could create positive or negative messages, uh, same like the rings of Saturn. Some ETs program, program the rings of Saturn to emit certain frequencies. It, as others use them for communication purposes. Same with these pyramids. Wow. And you mentioned Stargate portals and that's like that in dna are kind of like the number one thing uh wanted in the galaxy because that just opens up all the as you said the pathways and the interconnective points so there's often wars and conflict about who gets access there is that correct yeah exactly like some beings take take turns <laughs> programming the rings of saturn for communication purposes or to say to say something to send frequencies, waves, and then we sort of on Earth go, whoa, what was that? That was so trippy. <laughs> that waveform that came from Saturn, rings of Saturn, so trippy, and it's an upgrade. It's an energy upgrade. Uh, and the sensitive ones and star seeds and others and empaths can often feel that. They won't always yes. know why, but they're having to deal with all these upgrades, which are not always easy because any unhealed wounds have to be rectified and balanced and coherent to be able to do that. So um, mm -hmm. when I was in the King's Chamber, again, about 1975, uh, they told me that lying in that sarcophagus in the old days would enable out-of-body astral travel to Sirius, Pallades, or Orion more easily. So is that valid? And what do you know about that? What I know is that the Egyptian pyramids once had gold plating at the top of the triangular cap towers and the energies of this gold plating would create the magnetic frequencies that would influence the king's chamber, the sarcophagus that would enable the out-of-body astral travel to Sirius Pleiades, and the Orion star system. So again, it's connected to alchemy, it's connected to frequency, it's connected to natural resources from the planet. And gold seems to be an activator to out-of-body experience and travel because they those those kind of um, again, they were like this capped with gold um, imagine your big pyramid and imagine the smaller pyramid on top gold capped that allows to amplify the sarcophagus capabilities so are the pyramids 
generators used as a source of zero point or free energy for the whole community as well as the healing chambers. From what I understand, these generators on the Egyptian pyramids were a type of zero point and free energy technology that was connecting to the ley lines of the earth. And that was thousands of years ago and the, the pyramids still connect to the ley lines in order to power the Egyptian civilization as well as the healing chambers. So this technology has existed for close to 80,000 to 100,000 years. I know, and the fact that people don't know this as real news, it's just insane. The ancients though, when I was in Ireland related to this, I went to Ireland by myself and um, to visit all the sacred sites, you know, a lot of the sacred sites. And of course they have these magical stones. Uh, and I went and visited the stone where the movie, uh, The Outlander <laughs> uh, was filmed there. And it was raining and the bus driver, you know, of course I'm plying him with questions and he's just laughing. And uh, I said, uh, he said, oh, by the way, you'll find that where we're going, none of your cell phones work at all, right? And so we got to this place and no one wanted to get out of the car, but um, I said, so that's the huge rock. And knowing what we know, which means that stones act as part of the ley line, whatever, I said, okay. And he said, yeah, he said, if you go over to the stone, a lot of us locals, if we don't get our phones working, we go over and stand on the, by the stone and our phones access. Yeah, it's uh, the piezoelectric properties um, of whatever the megalith, it's called the megalith, these big stones, uh, they have piezoelectric properties, which is electromagnetic field. And it's like a jumpstart battery, basically, because it could have quartz, it could have other types of crystals embedded within the huge rock, which it does. And that's the piezoelectric energy form like the jump battery. So if you come near that stone, wave your cell phone in a certain area, you find the signal, boom, your cell phone works. While you're standing by the stone, you have basically free ley line Wi-Fi access, which is natural without the 5G issues being encountered with our Wi-Fi stuff. So I, I don't recommend 5G, it's too much. It's too oh. high energetically. Yeah. And um, about our own human capacity to, uh, to charge, I was attending a James Gilliland event at the base of Mount Adams, which is a spaceport for my birthday. I just wanted to see a bunch of ships and have fun. And we were all out there, hundreds of people taking pictures with our little cameras. And mine ran out of battery. It went dull so i just quietly went over to james and i said i know you know how to charge this and he held it in his hand and literally in four seconds it was charged and just handed it back to me so we all have those abilities right i mean we'll get them mm -hmm. the generators were primarily attached to the egyptian pyramids on earth and yes other planets with the advanced civilizations could likely sense the energy outputs of the generators on the pyramids and understand what those energy sources meant. So it's on planet and off planet. Hmm. Great info, thank you. 
Well, Eliana, I just realized how long we've been going. And so I am going to end part one with that click cliffhanger coming on part two of the secret hidden technology multi-details in the Giza area and pyramid and hall of records so stay tuned and why don't Ileana you share with people your contact information where to buy your book so that people can avail themselves of your huge bandwidth of knowledge experiences and skill sets okay sure um, so my um, website is called Messages from a Star Traveler, and people can type that in and find it on search engines, as well as you can contact me through seekingthetruthinreality at gmail.com. That's my email. Uh, and the books, um, Ileana's Star Journeys with the UFOs, ETs, SSPs, and Past Life, Past Lives. Uh, can be found on Amazon, Past Lifetimes, uh, both Volume 1 and 2, and as well in PDF forms on my website. All right. For me, reading your last two volumes was like continually finding gems for the Galactic uh, Game Puzzle. And your soul wisdom and strength, I consider true gold. So thank you very much, Ileana, for your extreme generosity of time, spirit, in cooperating for this first part one production today. In part two, we will continue, as I said, supplying fascinating answers to multiple questions, digging in deep and supplying information that you have not fully heard before. So make sure folks and keep your notifications on. And I've never asked this before, but to express your appreciation for this massive synthesis Remember not only to subscribe, like, and share Cosmic Brilliance with your friends, families, and children, but also if you feel that it is useful for you and you've learned something new, I would love you to go to CosmicBrilliance.com and donate no matter how small, because that really, really, really helps me continue finance uh, and get the tech help I need and for a high quality video. So I really appreciate that. And I also have some good news. One of the things I'm investing in because I was responsive to your requests was converting all my shows to be available on podcasts for your convenience while walking your dog or whatever. So I'm in the process of building the library now and you can go to my website, cosmicbrilliance.com and click on podcasts. And the link will be uh, down below in the YouTube description. So thank you so much, Ileana and our dear audience, because this knowledge will liberate you and end ignorance. And it is what I feel real news should be. Out ahead of the curve, awe-inspiring, self-empowering, and uplifting. And I have hope that you have found itself. So.